0: My grandfather is going to die, and it's all my fault. That's the thought that keeps pushing to the surface as I pound on the lab door, screaming for Prakash to let me out. To not do this, I try to force the idea back down. It's a distraction and I need to focus, but it keeps working its way through me like shrapnel driven by some inexplicable need to harm. I step back and slam against the door with my full body weight once, twice, and on the third time, I feel my collarbone give way when I hit. Biting back a, a sob of pain and rage, I beg again through the door for the doctor to leave him alone. But the only answer I receive is silence. I had gone to pick up Prakesh from a department store parking lot over an hour away. He was a small and fidgety man. Standing next to his car with a small duffel bag in hand. When I identified myself as Dr. Barron's grandson, he greeted me warmly, and when I handed him the black sack to put over his head and asked him to get into the back so that he wouldn't be seen, he nodded without complaint or any sign of surprise. Whether that was because my grandfather had already told him that he couldn't know the location of where he was going, or because he was just that compliant, I really wasn't sure. I looked through his double bag, but it was just a collection of medicines, syringes, and a few other medical supplies that I suppose he brought in case my grandfather had forgotten something that was needed for the procedure. He drove in silence for the most part, other than me sporadically asking if he was comfortable enough, and when we arrived back at Jaeger Solutions, I carefully led him inside the warehouse where my grandfather was waiting. After patting him on the back and thanking him again for his help... My grandfather led Prakesh down to the lower level before finally removing the black sack from the man's head. After patting him on the back and thanking him again for his help, my grandfather led Prakesh down to the lower level before finally removing the black sack from the man's head. Prakesh had looked dazedly around at the bright lights and new surroundings before focusing on us and smiling. He said that he was ready to begin whenever we were, and in less than an hour, my grandfather was in the vault and under anesthesia, strapped down to the same metal table where so many outsiders had lain. I didn't like the look of him on that table, in a hospital gown, asleep and tied down. He just looked so vulnerable. As he had instructed, I was standing at the open door to the hatch, gun ready in holster at the back of my belt, I knew that Prakesh had seen the gun and I had made no attempt to hide it, figuring that its presence might serve as a deterrent if he was up to something nefarious after all. But I thought my grandfather was right. Prakesh seemed to be a, a good man who genuinely liked my grandfather and who deeply appreciated him saving Prakesh's daughter years before. They had talked amiably for a few minutes as my grandfather had gone under and it seemed natural and heartfelt. As he was fading into unconsciousness, my grandfather had waved me over, and when I was close by, he gave my arm a squeeze and met my eyes. Remember. Remember everything we talked about. I love you, and I'm proud of you. I saw tears forming at the corner of his eyes. I put a letter for you on my desk in the lab, too. Just wait and read it when this is over, however it turns out. Giving me another squeeze, his eyes began to flutter shut as his hand slipped away. Wiping my own eyes, I went to my post by the vault entrance. While my grandfather had described the procedure to me, I only understood it at the most basic level and I assumed that it was going to be a fairly long operation. In truth, after Prakesh started to work, it was all done in less than an hour. My grandfather had already shaved his own scalp around the surgery site... So, after sterilizing the area, Prakash used a a surgical saw to cut out a, a small piece of skull on the left side of his head, setting it aside in one of the rolling instrument trays in the room. He then inserted a thin metal rod that my grandfather had showed me was actually an endoscope, a small camera used in brain surgery. This was followed by a thin hollow tube when he said that he located the seed, a tiny rod ending in an articulated claw that was inserted down the tube, with the idea of it being positioned at the other end to safely grab the seed and pull it back through the hollow tube itself and out of my grandfather's brain. As Prakesh worked though, I felt myself growing tenser and tenser, cool sweat pouring down my back and legs as I waited for it to be finished or something to go wrong. I kept imagining my grandfather suddenly waking up and trying to attack us as the seed took him over, or perhaps worse, him just disappearing entirely if the seed became damaged during extraction. But nothing like that happened, and when Prakash finally removed the extraction rod, I saw the small metal claw at the end held something small and black. Is he okay? I blurted out. Instantly regretting any distraction that I might be causing while surgery was still going on. Prakesh didn't turn, but nodded. "'He's he's very strong, and I, I think it went well. Like your grandfather probably told you, this isn't my speciality, but after I replace the skull door and bandage him up, he should be done.' I nodded back before realizing that he couldn't see it with his back turned. "'Good. Wow, that's awesome.' Thank you so much for helping us. I thought for a moment that I saw Prakash flinch, but he continued to work steadily, and I decided that it was my imagination. A few minutes later, he was finished in washing up, and when that was done, he approached me with a small plastic tray. In it was the seed. He wanted you to store this, I think. In the lab, maybe? I nodded. I nodded. In the days leading up to this, my grandfather and I had talked about a number of things, but much of the time was spent on showing me features of this place and teaching me more lessons about hunting. Most of it would come out casually in the way of a story about this or that, but I knew that he was trying to prepare me for if I decided to stay and help him, or if he didn't make it, prepare me if I decided to carry on his work. I wasn't sure I knew the answer to any of the longer-term questions, but... As the surgery drew closer, I knew that, at the very least, I was going to see him through it and make sure that he was safe. And what Prakesh was saying was true. My grandfather had wanted to store the seed in a secure freezer in case it didn't dissolve this time. He theorized that it was possible since it was being extracted rather than disappearing from a corpse, and if it did stay, he wanted it safely confined and available for study. Seeing it held out to me in that plastic tray, it seemed like a, a physical manifestation of my relief that it was safely out of my grandfather. I smiled at Prakesh, fighting the urge to give him a hug and reaching for the seed instead. I left the vault and went to the door of the lab, Prakesh following behind. He was saying something about how impressed he was with my grandfather's setup down here, but I was hardly paying attention. Holding the seed, even in a tray felt somewhat akin to holding a poisonous snake and as i carefully walked into the lab my eyes never left it this was likely why it was so easy for brakesh to reach forward yanking the gun out of my belt holster and all while shoving me forward with the other hand i stumbled forward my first panic thought of not dropping the seed which rolled dangerously close to the edge of the tray's raised lip before settling back onto the bottom it then struck me what had just actually happened, and I turned to see Prakesh slamming the door shut, his face looking sad as the slab of metal swung in and obscured him from view. I cursed and sat down the tray gingerly before running to the door. It was designed to look from the outside in case there was ever a problem in the lab, and I really knew of no other way out. I beat on the door with my fists, screaming for Prakesh to let me out, but there was no response. I tried to calm down, searching the door for any sign of weakness I was overlooking. It was a sturdy metal door, and the hinges, they were on the outside as well. I looked around the lab for something that I could possibly pry that door open with, but really there was nothing. Nothing that I could see that would make a dent in the door. Finally, I went back to yelling and pounding on the door, slamming against it hard enough to break my collarbone. At this point, as I lay defeated and weeping at the bottom of the door, I knew at least 15 minutes had passed. Prakesh could have easily killed him already, or something even worse. He could be carrying him off to be tortured right now, and it was all because I thought that it was over, and stupidly let my guard down. I failed in the one thing my grandfather asked of me, to keep him safe. I beat my head with my fists as I cried harder. I could feel myself slipping closer to a deep self-loathing and despair, and I forced myself to stop. Now was not the time for this weakness. I needed to think, to try and be more like him. I needed to be smarter and better. Wiping my face, I stood up and started looking for anything that I might have missed or that might be useful. I saw my cell phone on one of the counters, but it was useless at that moment. My grandfather had turned on a series of cell phone jammers before I arrived with Prakash to keep him from being able to communicate with the outside world while he was with us, and the controls for them were in the living quarters, not the lab.
1: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps, because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
0: Apartments.com believes that a dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine, And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit apartments.com, the place to find a place. I jammed the phone into my pocket and kept looking. When I reached his desk, I saw the envelope that he had left me sitting in its center. I had not even noticed it when I was looking for a pry tool for the door, but now... It was hard for me to take my eyes from it. I knew that my time was limited, but I felt some dim hope that it may contain some solution for our predicament. That, like so many times before, my grandfather had outthought his opposition before they even knew that he was there. I tore into the letter and saw that it was written out in his deliberate but messy handwriting. It read... Jason, you're a good man. You deserve to have a happy life and you need to have your own reasons for what you do and how you live. I've asked a lot of you and for the last few days I've been preparing you for this kind of life. But that's wrong and selfish of me. I won't ask you to sacrifice your happiness to continue my work after I'm gone. If you ever decide you want to, this place is yours. But I honestly hope that you don't. Hunting these outsiders is an important cause but... It's a very lonely life. I started out of pain and revenge, out of not caring if I lived or died. I've come to realize those aren't good reasons, or at least not good enough, and those aren't burdens that I'd ever want for you. If I had to do it over, I'd have spent more time with you and your parents instead of pushing you all away. But life is a series of choices, and... I can live with mine. I've managed to help those that I could, and I got to spend the last few days with you. Hopefully, I'll I'll get to see you again, but either way, I'm satisfied with how things have turned out. And I hope you are too. Love you, Grandpa. Reading his words, I felt a swell of love for him. I also felt the resolute certainty that he was wrong. Looking back on the last few days, I realized that I had felt a growing sense of purpose and rightness that I'd never had before. At times, it had been terrifying, and I had no illusions that I would be as good as it as my grandfather was, but I felt like I was capable of helping him, of helping others, and that it was what I was meant to do. Any last uncertainty faded away as I read the letter, my mind refuting his points as he made them. This could be a good and full life, and it didn't have to be lonely or done for the wrong reasons. And whatever my grandfather's reasons for starting down this path, I knew that he had stayed on it because he was good and a strong man that couldn't stand by while those evil, evil things hurt people. And I was going to tell him that in person. I put the letter down, my mind racing as everything seemed to slow down around me. I had to be at 20 minutes now. If my grandfather was dead, time was less of an issue, but I doubted that he was, not yet anyway. Assuming Prakash was taking him away from here and wanted him alive, he probably needed to stabilize him further and then prep him for being moved. It was a guess, but that would probably take 15 or 20 minutes if he was having to monitor his vitals and keep him medicated enough to stay under without killing him. He then had to physically drag him up and out to a car, find keys for the car, and drive away. That was at least another ten minutes given how much larger my grandfather was than Prakash. That meant that I might have about five to ten minutes before they were gone. That would have to be enough. I ran to the refrigerator where he stored blood and tissue samples of outsiders, looking through the blood vials, The most recent two were dated three months earlier. I had no idea if this was going to work and if freshness had anything to do with it, but it was the best chance that I had at this point. I gave the vials a shake, uncapped the first one, and drank it down as quickly as possible. Immediately, my gag reflex tried to rebel against my plan. Punching my leg, I fought down the urge to vomit through gritted teeth and then uncapped the second vial. Down the hatch. There was no nausea now, and I thought maybe the trouble was past. Then my midsection flamed into white hot pain that dropped me to my knees. I would have screamed if I was able, but there was no air left in my lungs, or in the world at all, it seemed. I fell onto my side, clutching my stomach with both hands as the pain rolled upward into my chest. I felt myself spasm once, twice, and then the pain, all of a sudden, was just gone. I gasped, ragged breaths slowly coming back to me. Okay, part one done. Ideally, I would have waited longer before the next step to ensure that the blood had time to take if it was going to at all, but there was just no time and I was just going to have to hope for the best. Leveraging myself back to a semi-standing position, I used the counter to shuffle around to where the plastic tray sat. I swallowed my revulsion at the sight of the seed sitting there, its black surface reminding me of the dark surface of a spider's abdomen as it sat hunkered down and quietly dangerous. Not giving myself any more time to think about it, I picked the seed up and I swallowed it quickly like the world's bitterest pill. Surprisingly, it had almost no taste other than being faintly salty and I suspected that that taste... Was coming from the bits of the brain fluid clinging to its surface. I held onto the counter and waited, my worry building that ingesting it would either do nothing or just make it easier for it to take me over, blood or no blood. After a minute, with no change, I walked slowly back over to the door and put my ear up to it, trying to hear any signs of what Prakesh was doing or if my grandfather was even still alive. At first I heard nothing, then I realized I was hearing something after all, a small popping sound. But it wasn't coming through the door, and as I turned and looked around the lab, I couldn't find its source there either. That's when I realized that it was my collarbone knitting back together. Within a couple of seconds, the pain in my shoulder was entirely gone, and as I slammed my fist into the door again... I could feel the change immediately. My arms felt stronger, more solid, and with each blow I felt the door starting to give way more and more. When I felt the first hinge pop loose on the other side, I shifted to kicking the door. Three kicks later, and it was down, and I was out. I looked around, but I saw no sign of anyone in the hall or across in the living quarters. Heading into the vault, I was terrified that I'd find my grandfather's dead body laying on the metal table, but thankfully it was empty. That left outside. I ran upstairs and was heading outside to see if the cars were still there when I caught movement in the corner of my eye. I turned back to see Prakesh hunting for a set of keys at the little corner workshop that my grandfather had set up in the above ground warehouse. When he heard me approaching, he immediately spun around, his eyes wide. You, you got you stay back. I'm warning you, I'll shoot you. He glanced down and I could tell by his expression that he had left my gun in the car. You know, it really doesn't look like you will. Where is my grandfather? His eyes darted towards the car outside, but he was already shaking his head. I-I have to take him. They found me. They found my family. If I don't take him to them, they're going to take- They're going to take my wife. I'm- I raised my hand. Shut up. Who took them? The cult. The house of the claw. I think that they've been looking for us since my daughter got away from them. But- Your daughter was a part of the cult? He nodded weakly. She-she was brainwashed. Fell in with them through a college boyfriend. And when she wanted to leave, they wouldn't let her. She sent me a text asking for help after almost a year, but I had no way to find her. Tears were mingling with the sweat on his cheeks now. I, I love your grandfather. He tracked her back down somehow and got her out of there. He got my girl back to me. She's so much better now. So happy. I, I can't lose her again. I felt anger flooding my chest as I advanced closer across the warehouse floor. You idiot! Did it ever occur to you that she never really left? Or that she fell back in with them? That she's how you got tracked down? He was shaking his head as I spoke. No. No, that's that's not possible. She would never. How did they know that you were doing surgery on him? Who did you tell? I saw his eyes widen and... It was all the answer that I needed. In the back of my mind, I knew that this rage that I was feeling was more than I had ever known. More than I could even really comprehend. But I didn't care. This stupid man and his daughter were trying to kill us. The house was trying to kill us. The outsiders were trying to kill us. And they were all going to pay. As I reached the first workbench and started around it, Prakash tried to dart away around the other side, but he was far too slow. I snatched him back and threw him against a table, several wrenches and screwdrivers falling off their hooks and clattering to the wood below. Gripping his throat, I fought back the urge to squeeze harder as I brought his face up to mine. No more lies. Where is my grandfather? His nose was running with snot now, and it seemed to physically pain him to say the words when he spoke. In the pickup, out there, passenger seat, he's sedated but alive. I nodded. Good, good. Now when and where were you supposed to take him? He tried to shake his head again, and I gave his throat a hard squeeze. He croaked out. I I can't tell you. They'll... I let go of his throat and grabbed his wrist, holding his left hand down to the table as I picked up one of the screwdrivers that had fell there. An hour ago, I couldn't have even imagined ramming a screwdriver through a man's hand, but now it was surprisingly easy. After his hand was pinned, I slapped him hard across the mouth to stop his screaming. He gave out a wet sob and then told me that he was supposed to be meeting them at a motel a couple of hours away at 10 o'clock that night. He told me the name of it, and said that he already had a room key in his pocket. I took it out and saw from the plastic keychain that it was room 609 at the Sunset Motor Lodge, just like he had said. Look, I've told you everything that I know. Please, please let me go. Let me get to my family, safely. I stared at him for a moment, weighing my options. I felt the stirrings of what felt like sympathy for him, but... I knew better. I had spent so much of my life confusing weakness and uncertainty with mercy and consideration. It was easy to do living a mundane life where the stakes were low and very little mattered. I was finding now that when things really mattered, the right thing to do was usually the hard thing. But it was also the easiest to see. <sighs> Sorry, but I'm not done with you yet. After I quickly gagged and bound Prakesh and secured him back down in the vault, I ran to the pickup truck to check on my grandfather. He was just as the man had said, slumped over and heavily sedated but still very much alive. Reaching under the driver's seat, I pulled the key from where it was taped and I started up the truck. To be safe, I drove an hour away to a hospital where I told them that my grandfather had been attacked by some unknown assailant prior to my arriving to meet him for lunch at a local restaurant. Luckily, I had the foresight to drive in the direction of his actual hometown, which the hospital was only 45 miles from, and I had googled restaurants so that I could name a real place. The local police were still called, of course, and I gave them an earnest but unhelpful statement. Both the cops and the doctor had questions about the shaved portion of his scalp and the surgical precise wound to his skull, but... They could only listen to so many blank-eyed and shrill assertions by me that they needed to find whoever the maniac was that did that to my grandpa before sullenly giving up. The whole thing looked bizarre, but what could they do about it? Three hours later, I was done with questions and knew that he was in a stable condition, so I left to finish what had to be done. By 8 o'clock, I was in room 609 waiting and the evil cultists were punctual if nothing else. At 9.59, there was a heavy knock on the door. Looking out of the peephole, I saw three figures, meaning that there was at least one or two more out there somewhere. I opened the door, staying behind it, figuring that they would come on in and be distracted when they saw what was inside. It worked well. As the light from the parking lot security lights spilled across the room, Two figures tied to motel chairs were illuminated. Their forms and features a patchwork of amber light and shadow as the men entered the room in confusion. The first figure was Prakash. He was clearly dead, his arms broken and held at odd angles, and his throat cut almost to the point of decapitation. The second was Prakash's 30-year-old daughter, Gabrielle. Or, as one of the cultists called her, Gabby! "'What are you doing here?' The man was rushing forward to kneel at her side, trying to pull the gag off of her tear-streaked face. Her eyes had gone to him immediately when the door opened, but now they were back on me, the shadow behind the door. She tried to scream a warning through the gag as it was yanked down, but it was too late. I slammed the door shut behind them, driving a knife into the back of the closest one as the third started turning towards me.' He started fumbling for a gun, but he was slow. And by the time that he started to raise it, I had already removed the knife from his friend and slashed it straight across his eyes, banishing any idea of attack from him forever. He clutched his face as he began to yell, but it was all short-lived. Five fast stabs into his torso, and he slumped to the floor as his life seeped out into the dirty orange carpet. By this point... Gabby's voice was free and she was yelling for Keith to kill this guy, which apparently was me. Keith had different ideas as he had abandoned trying to free her and was running for the bathroom. Gabby's opinion of who this guy was seemed to shift suddenly, but it didn't matter. They were all going to die. I was going to pursue Keith, but then the front door crashed open as the remaining members of the cell came barreling in. I jammed my knife into the smaller one's thigh, but my hand slipped off the blood-soaked handle, even as the larger of the two brought a ham-sized fist down across my face. I felt something give as my jaw shattered, and the world just went grey all of a sudden. I was only out for a couple of moments, but it was enough time for the pair of them to hit me again, and for the courageous Keith to come back in and start trying to explain to Gabby Baby the merits of a strategic retreat. I acted as though I was nearly unconscious, taking the hits while trying to propel myself back to the front door. It had slammed back closed after their entry, and while the latch was broken, it seemed wedged shut pretty tight. I assumed that they had noticed it too, or they wouldn't have let me stumble or fall against it in the first place, laughing bitterly about how they were going to mess up my world for what I had done to their friends. They looked confused as... I pushed myself up the door slowly and looked at them, my eyes clear, my face felt swollen and lopsided, and I could feel my jaw itching. You haven't noticed a cell? Keith looked at the other two, the smaller of which was sitting on the floor now, trying to tie a belt around his leg. What is he saying? I heard. you haven't noticed a cell? My jaw felt like it was on fire. Not thinking, I grabbed it and shoved, a bolt of pain shooting through my head as it snapped back into place. I said, "'You haven't noticed the smell?' Their eyes were wide, first looking at me, and then at Gabby as she started screaming. I reached into my pocket and brought out the small flare that I had brought from Jaeger Solutions. "'I think I might survive it, but I doubt any of you will.' Lighting the flare... I tossed it down into the middle of them and watched as everything turned to fire when it hit the gasoline. The newly freed Gabby and Keith ran back for the bathroom, but I had already been in there. The window was too small for a person, and I had soaked the walls in there too. They were already engulfed as they reached the doorway, their flaming bodies dancing together towards an escape that they would never find. The other two came towards me, intent on getting out the door the small one's pants were already blazing from him setting on the floor, and after a feeble dash forward that was ended when I kicked him in the chest, he decided that thrashing around on the floor screaming was the best way to go. The large one, the last one, put up more of a fight. He punched me, tried to choke me, and shove me out of the way. Finally, when he saw that he was burning, he wrapped me in a fiery bear hug as though to take me with him. I burned with him for a few seconds before his ligaments gave way and he slumped down, a layer of his molten skin melting off onto the front of my smouldering shirt. I turned and yanked the door open, dropping outside onto the concrete walkway to roll away the few places that I was starting to catch fire myself. Then I was up and running around back to where I had parked the car. On the way to the hospital, I stopped and changed into extra sets of clothes that I had brought, and by the time that I reached my grandfather's room, the only sign of trouble that I still carried with me was a sweet, smoky smell that clung to my hair. I thought that he was asleep when I entered the room, but then his eyes were open and staring at me. He didn't say anything at first, and as I approached his bed, he frowned. Who are you? I felt my stomach plummet. After all of this, his brain had been hurt by the surgery after all, but it was okay. I I would take care of him, and hopefully over time, I realized my grandfather was laughing, and at that, my jaw dropped. Sorry, I just couldn't resist. That's not funny, he grinned at me. It's kind of funny. He stopped and looked at me, his face growing more serious. Are you okay? I know things must have gone wrong somehow for me to wind up here. What happened to Prakesh? I looked away at the wall. He, uh, he made some bad choices, but look, it's dealt with. I dealt with all of it and I think we should be okay. My grandfather frowned again. I don't want you to have to deal with all of this. It's its not fair to you. I looked back at him, shaking my head. No, it's its my choice. I want to help and I, I want you to teach me. We can do more together. I paused. And neither of us will be alone anymore. He studied me for several seconds before clearing his throat and nodding. You know, I really like the sound of that. G'day mates, it's Bee Buster here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Bee Scared podcast. And please, don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's episode too. Also, it would be much appreciated if you could share this new podcast with your friends and family and on social media too. Thanks again for listening, guys, and I'll see you mates in the next one.